And now, the travel show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is the travel show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be talking about travel. But this is a very special show. I usually say at this point, email me at Fromer Travel Show at yahoo.com so that we can have you on the show. But the radio portion of this show is going on hiatus. We will be doing a podcast soon to replace it. Uh, But like most radio shows, we are dependent on finding advertisers. And advertising is hard to come by nowadays, uh, thanks to the pandemic and thanks to the fact that very few people are traveling. Uh, So I thought I'd spend this opening talking a little bit about why we should travel, why it's such a life-enhancing activity, why it's changed my life quite personally, why, Dad, I'm so uh, grateful to have been born into a wandering family and to have you as my father. I couldn't have had a better father uh, or a better co-host. Co-hosting the show is like doing a tango with you. Pauline, thank you so much. Thank you. Of course. So, So some things about travel that I love. I love that no matter how much research you do about a trip, and you should always do your research, you should always get your Fromer guidebooks, it will make your vacations better, I promise. But there will always be something that surprises you. Um, I'm thinking back to when I was in Tanzania this December, and I'm so grateful I got to do a big, huge trip, like an African safari before this pandemic hit, because I think a lot of people are going to be nervous to go that far away afterwards. But I knew that seeing the landscape and seeing the massive animals would be a life-changing event. But I didn't, I couldn't have guessed that the highlight would come one day when our guide stopped to, to feed us all lunch uh, which he had brought with him, and he was setting up the tins, and there were wildebeests all around us, these crazy-looking, massive, shaggy creatures, kind of like a bison as drawn by Maurice Sendak. And he started talking about politics in Tanzania and the fact that for the first time Since the country had become its own country, since it went from being a colony to to its own nation, they had a president who wasn't corrupt. And what that meant for the daily life of the people that they were having for the first time, uh, hospitals were being built and people were able to go to hospitals and not get charged extra uh, by doctors who were in it for their own good rather than for the good of their patients and that uh, schools were being built and that they suddenly had hope. And so I was in this gorgeous country. Tanzania is an eyeful. It's absolutely spectacular. But knowing what was happening with the political situation also made it very moving to be there. And I could never have known I was going to learn that in advance. 
I also find that travel is great for creating relationships. I'll never forget the trip I took with my family, my two daughters and my husband. Uh, we went to India and the idea was we would do a volunteer vacation there. And I thought that would be the most moving part of it. And it was. Uh, we were teaching, my daughter and I, my older one and I were teaching in a school because in India, if you don't learn English, you can't get anything but a really low level job because every state in India has a different language and they use English as the common language. So if you want to get a job in a McDonald's in India, you have to know English. So we were there to help teach English. My husband, who's a physical therapy, was there to help in a hospital. And my younger daughter went with him to do that. She now wants to be a doctor because of that trip. But my daughter, my older daughter and I had huge problems teaching. It was very difficult. Um, it was hard to discipline the kids. They were a bit wild. And uh, my, my daughter became obsessed. She was about 14 at the time with the fact that the girls and the boys sat separately and that only the boys spoke up in class. And so we decided to do a game where we would mix the girls and boys into teams so that they could work together and sit together. And as we started to do this, chaos erupted. None of the kids would sit next to each other. None of the boys or girls, I should say. They were yelling. They couldn't this. And at the end of it, the principal had to come in. She heard the ruckus from outside our classroom and restore order. That evening, my 14-year-old my said, that was great. Let's do it again. And we had a massive blowout fight because I said, we can't do that again. They didn't learn anything. We're here to teach. And she's like, no, no, we have to affect social change. And I learned what a firebrand she is and what her morals are and her values are. And eventually she realized I was right, that you can't go to another culture and impose your own values on it. But through that and through working together, we developed a very different relationship, one that exists through today. It deepened who we are as a mother and daughter. And I'm thankful to travel for that. I've also developed skills in my travels. I've gone to, I went to a cooking school uh, in Tlaxcala, Mexico, which is not an area of Mexico you hear much about, mostly because we heard from the folks there. So I hope I'm not telling tales out of school, but we heard that the other Mexicans don't much like the Tlaxcalans, because when Cortez came and conquered the country, they collaborated with him. And to this day, according to the people I met, the rest of Mexico has not yet forgiven Tlaxcala. But I learned how to cut an onion. I learned how to make the best guacamole. I learned knife skills. I learned cooking principles that I still use today. Uh, so uh, that, too, was an incredible thing to learn. Um, I also have learned in my travels how to respect a place that I don't on first glance like very much. 
Years ago, uh, I created a series of guidebooks called the Pauline Fromer Guidebooks, and I went to Las Vegas uh, because I didn't find an author there I liked. And so I thought, okay, I'll take over this title, even though I had wanted all of the Fromer Guides, you should know, are written by local authors, so we always get inside advice. But on this one, I wasn't finding the talent I wanted. I actually did eventually, but so I went to Las Vegas for a couple of months and I remember my first few days there just having a constant buzzing headache because of the ding, 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 dings, the constant sounds of the gambling machines and the smoke and the heat. And it it was a hard city for me to like. I'm a person who enjoys seeing how a destination grows organically, what a European city is like after having been around for a thousand plus years. I find that more interesting usually than what some executive in a boardroom thought would sell. And so hired somebody to design a, a, a place that looks like an Egyptian pyramid or that looks like Paris, France. Uh, to me, that's not as poetic as these destinations that grow more organically. But the more time I spent there, the more people I met and the more I realized it was in fact a deeply creative place that musicians and dancers and acrobats and yes, architects and artists had come from all over the world to create this fantasy land in the desert. And even if it wasn't always my aesthetic, what I was seeing, I grew to love the place. Uh, I grew to really respect what I saw there. And I spent time getting out in, into the into the desert. Uh, if you do that in Las Vegas, you will love it because there are some of the most beautiful wildlife areas in all of the United States. There's a place called... Uh, uh, Valley of Fire that has these spectacular, you walk into a canyon with these spectacular walls rising on all sides of you. And as you're walking, you see petroglyphs everywhere created hundreds of years ago, even though you're only, what, maybe 35 or 45 minutes away from the strip of Las Vegas suddenly you are back into Native American territory. Um, and outside of Las Vegas also is the Hoover Dam uh, and learning about the engineering and the deaths there from people having accidents and uh, the incredible human spirit it took to create a project that large. Uh, Las Vegas became another moving place for me. So as we wind up this radio show, and I hope we'll be back, I want to urge you all not to write off travel. It is not a silly activity. It is not something that you waste your money on. It can be life enhancing and mind expanding. It is one of the best things I've done with my life. I'm sure you feel the same way, Dad. And, uh, and so... As we wrap up this travel show, please do listen to our podcast. We will have that up soon. Uh, as I said, that'll be at Podbean, it'll be at iTunes, or at Fromers.com slash podcast. All right, we're going to have somewhat of a regular show now, so don't turn that dial. We'll be right back.
You're listening to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my father, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have Jason Cochran. Jason is editor-in-chief of Fromers.com, which is our website. We hope you'll visit us there. Welcome back to the Travel Show, Jason. Thank you very much, Pauline. So... Let me say first that we are taping this in late August. We know that things are changing rapidly, so forgive us if this has changed. We don't think it will, though. Uh, There was a very interesting study recently by MIT, uh, an MIT statistician, about travel on airplanes. And I found it surprising. He found it to be not that dangerous in terms of coronavirus. Is that fair to say? In his estimation, yeah. And I, you know, it makes sense to me because we're not hearing a, a lot about a lot of outbreaks that trace back to airplanes. And I guess he just sort of puts the nail in it and says, yes, that's right. And this is why. Um, he found that during a two hour flight, assuming everyone's wearing masks and you're socially distanced and all those things we now expect from a commercial airliner, on a two hour domestic flight, your chances of catching the coronavirus from a fellow passenger or crew member are one in 4,300. That's with um, without an empty seat next to you, actually. If you, if you put an empty seat next to you the way some airlines are doing, uh, like Delta and JetBlue, the probability drops to 1 in 7,700. So this MIT guy says he's not too worried about it, um, but, you know, it, it all depends on, on uh, travelers and how their confidence uh, is. But I don't, yeah. I'm not hearing a lot of people telling me that uh, they feel like the airplanes themselves are unsafe. They're more worried about whoever happens to be sitting next to them. Well, that's partially because of the way the airlines are engineered and the way that the air circulates. On Fromers.com, you did an article in which you looked at a video, I think, done by an airline engineer. Am I getting this right? Yeah, there was a really interesting video that Airbus put out. If you don't know, Airbus is a French uh, airplane designer. And they made a video featuring the the engineer who's in charge of their filtration system, showing you, pointing out how it works and how often the air is circulated. And you'd be surprised. I mean, it's like being in 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 an operating room, the way this air is so regularly exchanged. Um, Basically, over the course of a flight, uh, it's recirculated constantly, like every three minutes or so. Right. And what's interesting about on an airplane, air is blown vertically. So the, the fresh air will come in above you after having come right from the filters and then come down to the floor. So there's no movement of the air sideways. This is important because it means that someone who sneezes three rows behind you, that air was not going to make it to you because the direction of the air is always downward. Right. So really, you only have to worry about who is nearest you in the row before, before behind, or beside. Right. That's the biggest concern, which is why the airlines are telling people to wear masks. Yeah. Now, and let me remind everybody, if you want to read more about this, go to Fromers.com. In fact, we we recommend you getting our newsletter, which is absolutely free, and you can sign up for it on the Fromers.com site. Uh, so, so get that. Uh, now, we have the airplanes, but a lot of people, when we tweeted about this, and we hope you'll follow us on social media, just look for the word Fromers, uh, when we tweeted about this, we got pushback saying, well, what about the airports? Isn't that where the danger arises? And I wrote an article about what Dubai is doing in their international airport. And I wrote that even though Americans, for the most part, can't go to Dubai right now, but they tend to be the uh, the the 
the folks who are doing the innovations, which then spread. And Dubai, fascinatingly enough, is using virus-sniffing dogs. Uh, I, I found this just astounding. And according to the studies, those dogs are accurate 90, 90% of the time, I believe it is, or 86% yeah, of the Better time. than the tests we have, yeah. Dogs are amazing, aren't they? We, we don't deserve dogs. Yeah, I've seen <laughs> these videos. In fact, you put the video on Bromers.com in the story you wrote about this. Yeah. And they, they take a sample of some kind from each passenger and they put it kind of behind a plastic cone that looks like his master's voice, like an old Victrola. And the dog puts his or her nose in the cone and sniffs. That's it. It's as simple as that. And then and they're detecting whether or not people have it. And if they people don't even know it, perhaps they don't have symptoms, but the dog can smell it. Yeah, I, I just thought that was absolutely amazing. And in Dubai, they're giving COVID-19 tests. Now, you just wrote on Fromers.com about the fact that SFO, which is San Francisco's international airport, they are now offering tests, but not to everybody, right? Just to people who work in the airport or on the airlines right now. Uh, it's the very first American airport to offer rapid testing. There are airports and vendors within airports that will get tests, but it'll take a couple of days to get it back, which sort of defeats the purpose. You're already at the airport. So this is the first time you can get a, a nasal swab COVID-19 result within about 15 minutes. Right. The airport says, we're going to look at this program, how we're doing it, talk about rolling it out to passengers next. It's my position that we need this rapid testing at every airport if we can, because so many destinations require a negative COVID result from an arriving passenger that's no older than 72 hours. So if we have these rapid places at every airport, it would go a long way to helping restart travel. The big issue, I think, is who's going to pay for it? Because, yeah. you know, that SFO, uh, it's, uh, it's, they're not willing to roll it out to everybody until the funding has, has been nailed down. In Germany, they're doing this at some of their airports. They're charging people about 60 euro to have the test done, uh, which might be one way to offset expenses. So that's about, what, $80? It's about $70 American, yeah. I know when I got my test in New York, it was absolutely free. It was covered by the insurance company. Uh, I wonder why well, was that it a can't rapid be the test? case. No, it was not a rapid no. test. I don't know if there's a difference with either, but, you know, you'd have to, I guess, set aside the the labs and the space of the airport, you have to decide whether it's a before or after security. I imagine on, on the world side of security would be a better place because that, you know, you can't go through security unless you know you're, you're secure. Right. So there's a lot of questions. I'm sort of surprised that here we are now almost September and we're still talking about how do we test people, but at least it is in advance that in SFO, they finally have rapid testing. They're talking about doing it at LAX as well, but haven't done it yet really hoping that this rolls out quickly because I think, again, it's the key to getting us all traveling again. Well, yeah, I think a lot of the reason people aren't traveling right now is they're nervous. They're nervous about getting sick somewhere. And so the fact that finally the airlines are cracking down on mask usage, so it's a safer environment, uh, that hotels are doing the same, all of these things are important if travel is ever going to return. We hope it does because it employs one out of 11, every 11 humans on the planet. It's a massive industry. All right, we have to take another break. Uh, we thank you so much, Jason, for being on the show. Once again, if you'd like to get our newsletter, just go to fromers.com. It's absolutely free. Just give us your email address. We won't spam you. We'll send you this great newsletter. We will be right back.
You're listening to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have Lavinia Spaulding. She is the editor of a terrific collection called The Best Women's Travel Writing. Now it's in volume 12. Welcome to the Travel Show, Lavinia. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to ask you a simple sounding question that, that uh, why a volume of women's writing? Why is it important to put forward women as travel writers? It's a great question, honestly. You know, travel writing has historically been the man's world. Sure. And when Traveler's Tales started publishing their collections in the early 90s, women were really, really underrepresented in travel writing. But at the same time, Traveler's Tales received three, maybe four times as many submissions from women as they did from men. There was this huge overflow in stories by women. So the editors decided to begin putting together women-only anthologies. And they started with one called A Woman's World, and then they did humor anthologies, and then the Best Women's Travel Writing Series. I think and in doing so... Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I, I said, I think it's a smart thing to do, because if you think of which memoirs have really taken off recently, you have Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert. You have uh, Cheryl Strayed's work. Uh, yes, you have Bill Bryson, but... I do think it's a it's a genre that is becoming more female centric, partially due to your efforts. Well, well, I think that a lot. I mean, due to Traveler's Tales for sure. In sure. doing that, in in making those anthologies for women, they really created a more you know more publishing opportunities in a world that had too few and. A lot of really great female travel writers have gotten their start there. And and I think it's also just been really inspiring for women travelers who saw, you know, very little representation before. Sure. So what will inspire women travelers in the current edition of the Best Women's <laughs> Travel Writing? What, what are some of the stories about? Oh, gosh. Well, so this volume has 34 stories. And... I always look for a diversity of theme and destination and voice, but I will say that I think perhaps because of the times that we're in, yes. I was drawn more than usual this time toward stories of, um, of human resilience and strength. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, gosh, there are so many inspiring stories. There's one, um, by a writer named Ava Holland, and um, it's about attending a two-week extreme polar training course in Frobisher Bay, which is um, on the east coast of Canada's Baffin Island, and she learns there how to survive in the Arctic regions, and Mm. it is, wow. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I couldn't do it, (laughs) <laughs> I was. <laughs> I know of myself and my aversion to cold, but it was really incredibly inspiring, and it just kind of, I don't know, it reminded me that even in like the darkest times, there's we have this sort of hidden reserve of grit. Mm, um, yeah, it was it was wonderful, and um, there was another by um, 
a writer named Jennifer Belchko, and she walked with her partner across two continents from Bangkok to Barcelona. Yeah. And um, her story is really neat because it, it focuses on just one day during that walk in the country of Azerbaijan, Mm, uh, which is not a place you read about a lot. No, not at all. And the author was just so hot and tired and miserable that day and just feeling really defeated. And it's it's just a really neat story because she's sort of ranting to her partner about how what they're doing is so miserable and that there's no joy in it. Mm. And where is the joy? And then at the end, not to give it away, but she meets this local woman and they have this really sweet interaction. And then she learned that the woman's name translated is Joy. And wow. <laughs> it, it gives her the push to keep going. And so it's sort of these like serendipitous travel moments. Yeah. And we have so few of those nowadays. You told me when we did a pre-interview that there was also one about a woman who uh, connected with her ancestry through her travels. Yes. Yeah. So that story, it's called Wade in the Water the same as the the spiritual song. Mm. It's by a writer named Alexandria Scott. And um, she rowed a boat through Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge off Maryland's Chesapeake Bay. And that's where Harriet Tubman led so many slaves to liberation. Wow. And so as she rose, she reflects on the meaning of the old spirituals, um, which are believed to have served as coded instructions to help huh. people navigate the Underground Railroad. Wow, fascinating. And as she's doing it, yeah, yeah, I, I didn't know that. And, um, and as she's doing it, she's reflecting on the strength of her own enslaved ancestors. And it is just, I mean, I have chills right now thinking about it. It's just yeah. such a powerful... It sounds amazing. Well, we have been speaking with Lavinia Spalding, the editor of The Best Women's Travel Writing. Pick it up at Travelerstales.com. We'll be right back. listening to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer with my dad, Arthur Fromer, and on the line, our very favorite guest. Let's say it out loud. It's true. She is Andrea (laughs) Sachs. She is a writer for The Washington Post, and she has such a fabulous article out now. It's called A Newbie RV Renter Learns from Her Mistakes, and So Can You. Welcome back to The Travel Show, Andrea. Oh, it's so great to be with you guys. So, Boy, did you learn from your mistakes. What I love about your articles is you don't whitewash it. I think the great thing about being a travel writer, or one of the great things is, when things go wrong, there's a silver lining. It's going to be much easier to write about. And boy, did things go wrong when you tried to rent an RV. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, my God. I Yeah, I have so much material. It's ridiculous. And I set out and I agree, like you have to admit things happen and you have to find the bright side of it and take the lessons and apply them to the next time. And there will be a next time. I'm not giving up on RVs, but I decided to just, which is the trend now to rent an RV, get away for the weekend. And I booked it through Outdoorsy, um, which is one of the peer to peer rental sites. Another one is RV share. 
to say to be honest to be to be fair yeah. there they do peer to peer and they also work with the major companies too right outdoorsy do. does yes yeah. okay just wanted to clarify yes yeah. and they oh no thank you for clarifying and they do flag though, as i learned later i mean i just went in almost like as i do an airbnb or even a rental car and i'm like oh is the price right and is the location good and that's all i looked into right and do you want me to start with everything that went wrong sure <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've long enough, but the what helped me was that they delivered, so I wouldn't have to do the drive on 66. I shortened. I wanted to have more time at the campgrounds than I did driving, and so I started off in the Richmond area. This couple agreed to drop off for an extra 150, and it started off when I was driving toward Richmond from D.C., and they called me, and he said that he left the car, the RV keys at home, which was an hour away, and oh he drove all the way back. So we didn't start the review of the RV and the walkthrough until 11 p.m. And I just started, and I realized how complex, and I admit, like, I was really naive about it. And I'm like, oh, I can probably figure out how to turn the lights on, but there's the waste tanks and there's the propane tanks. And I asked him, and he was as bad as I was, and I said, oh, how does the stove work? I'm like, oh, I should ask everything. And he's like, well, I don't know. I eat sandwiches. And I'm like, oh. but I don't want to eat sandwiches. Right. I want to have like hot soup. And I love the fact that he said, oh, let's just uh, empty the waste tam- tank. I'll show oh. you how to do it because it's empty. It was not empty and it was stinkerific, right? That was a low point, high point in comedy, low point in smell. But yes, he told me that it was empty and he showed me how to, em- I would, how would, you know, I would have to empty it. And he didn't connect it properly. And his waist came, I don't want to shooting out, but you know, the oh. smell definitely came out because he didn't. And then he grabbed some Febreze. He's like, I got this. And he's spraying. It's like midnight now. And he's spraying around oh. Oh, the RV goodness. with Febreze. Uh, so you ended and, up spending the night there, but you couldn't drive it. In the morning, you found out there was major problems with the RV. When you called Outdoorsy, um, mm-hmm. what did they say? Because th- this seems like a very bad reflection on them. Yeah, I mean, I found a special one, I have to say, and I think the majority are not like this. So when I finally found someone who had been renting for a while and she said that they were finding more and more of this, because a lot of people, because of the pandemic, are buying RVs and then not using them enough or realizing that was a big expense. Right. So they're putting them online and they don't really know their vehicle well enough to explain it to someone who doesn't know vehicles at all, like RVs right. at all. Yeah. So. That it is more prevalent and outdoors. And so, you know, I, I was going with it. I really was. I'm like, I can overlook all this. I can overlook the dead bugs. I can figure out how to fill his propane tanks. He gave me 40 bucks, you know, but it was the expired registration because then I was yeah. breaking the law. Yeah. So I couldn't get over that. And he said not. he would get me new plates, but it would take another two hours. Uh, I wouldn't start my day until five o'clock. Yeah. So what should you so, have done differently when you went uh, to the RV? <laughs> Um, ask a ton of questions. First, right. you need to go in and understand what propane tanks are, and not just in theory, but in practice, what right. waste tanks are. And there are so many great newbie videos on YouTube. And so I spent a whole day learning the vernacular and the technology and the technique. And, and you need to go into, you can ask smart questions. And when they give you answers, you can understand what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And not just blindly, like nod your head like I was doing and just right. saying, oh, okay, I'll sandwiches. <laughs> so a lot of it is like you really need to be prepared. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And when you look, don't just look for you know the the price. 
someone who has reviews, someone who's been doing this for a while, someone who has a history of RVing themselves yeah. and understands the culture and the and all the things that can go wrong. And There's also, a lot of things that can go wrong. I'll let you and talk don't, now. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. And don't rent the biggest vehicle. We made that mistake oh, years God. ago. We did a, a trip in Arizona and we wanted the most bells and whistles because mm. we had our two kids with us. It was so scary to drive that thing. It was massive. I mean, it all, for the most part, it went okay. It was nothing like your story, except we discovered that we couldn't park it except in RV parking lots. So we ended up having to rent a car too uh, because of the size of this thing. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's an important point because you do, you see like how fancy it is inside and you have to go small. Like I was told by one person, go, don't go over 30 feet for your first time. And I was trying to get around 22 feet. This one, I think is 24. I'm -hmm. trying to get on 27. And when you're sitting in the cab and you look back, it's like a long hallway. I mean, it's so far back. Right, right. And all of a Lane seems so narrow. I don't know how you did it. Like, <laughs> lane seems so narrow. Well, I got to say, my husband did most of the driving because it terrified yeah. me. But halfway through the first day, our daughter, we didn't realize it turned on the heat. And so we thought that the <laughs> RV was overheating. We thought something was really wrong. Anyway, you could read Andrea's fabulous article uh. on the Washington Post site. It's called A Newbie RV Renter Learns from Her Mistakes, and So Can You. Uh, thank you so much, Andrea for appearing on the You're so welcome. Welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer with my father, Arthur Fromer, who's the best co-host a girl could ask for, as well as the best dad. Um, And as we said at the start of this hour, this is probably our last radio show for a while. We're calling it a hiatus, and I hope it will be. Uh, But because of the drop in travel advertising, we have to pull the plug for now. But as I said before, we do hope to be back and we will be creating a podcast. So visit us at podbean.com, on iTunes, on uh, fromers.com slash podcast. You will find us there chatting away, just not on radio for a little bit, for a while. Uh, Hopefully we'll be back when travel is back. Um, I also would love to urge you to visit us at fromers.com every day every single day uh i and my colleagues sit and look at the news and we say what is happening in the world of travel what illuminates what's happening in the world at large through the lens of travel and it's interesting what we find uh Sometimes we'll find that the Game of Thrones studios are going to be reopening to the public or that Brazil has decided it's going to open up one of their islands. Actually, it's a group of islands only to people who have already had COVID-19. They think that they'll be able to keep safe that way and thus revive their travel industry, despite the fact that scientists are saying there's not enough evidence to know that having it once will stop you from having it again. So there's this 
pretty strange scientific experiment happening uh-huh. under the guise of tourism in Brazil right now. And so we're writing about that. We also are writing about how to save money, contests where you can win free travel for the future. Uh, so much cuisine, history, art history. I'm working on an article about what it means to go to a museum right now. And I, I spoke with a lot of museum directors who were so moving in talking about these in institutions. They said museums are for contemplation and community. And we need that more than ever right now. And I would say it's the same about travel as an activity. It allows you to expand your knowledge of the world. It allows you to realize that sometimes what you see on the news about a a city that has had rioting recently uh, or a place that's had a great flood, that probably that will still be a warm, welcoming, safe place to visit. When I mean, because travel, of the you know pandemic, that. because mm-hmm. of the pandemic, we have really learned to appreciate travel. Yeah. The travel is as broad as life itself, and we so enjoy and hopefully will come back in, yes. in a short while to continue our, our uh, investigation into the life uh, changes brought about by travel. Absolutely. All right. Thank you for listening. And to those who are traveling, a hearty bon voyage, Dad. A bon voyage.